G'day guys and welcome to another episode of Glory Days that I know has Robbie incredibly excited. It's a trip down memory lane to when one of the all-time greats at the Albury Football Club, Jack Jones, steered his team to the 1956 flag. A huge thank you to the Joss Group for making this episode possible. Okay, let it rip, Robbie. G'day all and welcome to another episode from the Tiger Tales Premiership Podcast Series. This one, I don't mind admitting, involves one of my most admired and respected human beings, Jack Jones, who, as you are about to hear, led the Albury Tigers to a Premiership in 1956, his second year of coaching the Tigers, after a brilliant VFL career at Essendon that included 175 games, 156 goals, three Premierships in seven grand finals, and a Hall of Fame inductee at Essendon. Jack passed away aged 95 on March the 24th, 2020. Such was Jack Jones' standing at the Albury Football Club. He was named captain of the Albury Team of the Century. Jack coached Albury for five years, finishing in 1959. He represented the Ovens of Murray Football League and he kicked 171 goals at Albury. Before he started his VFL career at Essendon, Jack Jones spent two years serving his country in World War II in New Guinea and Bougainville with the 24th Infantry Battalion. Jack would wear that number 24 throughout his football career in honour of his mates from that battalion. His son Tony said Jack didn't speak a lot about his wartime experiences. You know, into his 60s, I reckon, he ever spoke about it. It was sort of like a pack to him, I think. They just never mentioned it much. But when he got a bit older and he got into the back at Essendon and 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 did the tours for Essendon for the young kids who did Anzac Day, he opened up a bit more then about it over the over the time. But you know, like I think it was just a thing that a lot of horrendous things obviously happened and a lot of you know, people were you know had bad obviously bad experiences and so forth. So never spoke about it that much. But I think on the Howie games he he said that um, he uh, just treated it like a job in the finish. And uh, I remember one time he said he was going up a mountain and, got you know, they had to charge up the mountain and, the, and he got his water bottle shot off off his hip. So that was probably the closest I think he got. And another time they they walked into a um, Japanese um, camp and had to lay in the water for about two days until the camp moved. So I think there might have been some close calls, but he got through. In September 2016, Mark Howard from the Howie Games conducted a superb and heartwarming interview with Jack Jones that reflected a lot on his wartime experiences. Here is part of that from the man himself, Jack Jones. It's probably silly to say, but it was just like a job. You'd get up for morning and you'd go out in patrol. People often talk to my kids and that about it. And they said, well, you must have been worried. I said, well, what could you do? We were down the hull of the ship and it was about 90 degree heat down there and there were three tier bunks, about 18 inches wide, and the bottom one was only about six inches off the ground of the, the, the ship. You could hear the waves on the side of the uh, the ship splashing up against it when it was when it got a bit rough. It's probably people say, no, you, you must have known. And I said, no, it was a job. Right. It was you just know, a job. The chaps would die a bit alongside you, in front of you, behind you, and with the mortar bombers coming over, and you couldn't hide from them. 
they'd have the spotters up trees, you know, for the mortar bombs. And That's not a job then, though. Well, it still was because you, you didn't even think about it. You got up every morning, you didn't know whether you are going to be still alive by the end of the day. What could you do? Damn you couldn't be frightened saying. because you had to look after you. I had to look after you, for instance, and I had to look after that bloke there, you know. So you didn't feel fear? No, nah, no, nah, never felt fear at all. I was only 19 when we first went to New Guinea. You, you never had fear. You couldn't have it because you had to look after one another. Getting off the ship, they had rope ladders that you had to get over the rope and there was a lot of barges waiting for us to take it to shore and you, you'd climb down the steps, somewhere down the steps, somewhere down the rope ladders. You'd get in the barges and they'd all go towards the beach, you know, 20 or 30 barges. They dropped the front of the barge and you you might have seen it on television, war pictures of that. You dropped the front of the and you had to charge up the beach into the jungle. We were lucky. We, there was no Japanese there waiting for us. From then on, you'd go up on patrols with, uh, say, nine people. If you ever ran into a, a unit of Japanese that was, uh, say, a platoon, you wouldn't attack them because you were too. You'd go back and report to base, right? And then you'd go back in the afternoon or the next day or something. You know, they'd have the signals there and tell us where the Japanese were because yep. they could tape into them, and and then the same of us probably. They could what? They could listen in to us, right? The same as them probably. They'd, you know, you, uh, the last patrol I did up in the Bougainville when I went to when we went to Bougainville later on. We had three three in, on the patrol. That's how low we were getting as far as soldiers go. Can you take me into what happens when when you see the enemy, when you see the Japanese? Do- as I said, even we, we were we looked like if we were gone at one stage. Yeah, that's the first time I saw a, a tank, and that was behind us. If that wasn't there, we wouldn't be. I wouldn't be here today. This is in Bougainville when we went to Bougainville because terrain in Bougainville is more flat. Right. There's few hills, but no great big mountains like New Guinea. We would have been gone. They they were within ten yards of us, and uh, you just kept shooting. You know. That was the only time that we were told to fix bonus. And just as they told us that, there wasn't many of us in that, that uh, it was only one platoon, not the whole battalion. And there was people behind, uh, the, the tank turned up behind us. And, and they just, you know, mowed them down, unfortunately, you know. I often think of the Japanese, like, they had parents, they had a mother and father, probably had a wife and a couple of kids at home and, here we are, both of us, shooting one another. Did we, you hate them? No, well, I didn't. I, I never have. So and We lost 91 killed and 197 wounded. Of your...? Of our battalion, like other battalions, some like two and 300, you know, are killed, that is. But we, we were lucky in one way, but one's too many, little old yeah. 91. Can you sleep in that situation? Well, you had two... We used to dig a, a, a trench... Two of you in the trench and you dig down three feet, about a foot wide, just enough for you to get in, or oh, 80 inches wide, and then you dig under halfway down, you'd be two hours on, you looking out, yep. and then the other bloke was asleep or I was asleep, and after two hours you'd wake him up, you'd go down underneath and he'd, he'd come up. We never had fear, or I didn't, because he had, he had no time to think about it anyway. You had to keep going, you couldn't. You couldn't pull out, as the saying goes, because all your mates are with you. For more of Jack's interview with Howie, do yourself a favour and go to episode six of the Howie Games. It is simply outstanding. 
and a huge thanks to Howie for allowing Glory Days to use the audio grab from his interview. We really appreciate it. Okay, let's go back to 1956, the Olympic year in Australia, and take a deep dive into how the Aubrey Tigers won their own piece of gold. I hope you enjoy Tiger Tales, Tiger Time with Jack. The Aubrey Tigers had narrowly missed finals action in 1955. Many believe they were good enough to take the Premiership that year. They stormed home to win its last seven matches, including a thumping 65-point win over topside Wangaratta in the final round. After six rounds, the Tigers were second last, with just one win, under new coach, the legendary Jack Jones. Things were grim, but gradually they found form and found a winning formula that had them win 10 of its remaining 12 games. The seed had been sown, the flame had been lit, and the Tigers were ready to roar in 1956. The signing of Jack Jones as Aubrey coach in 1955 was regarded at the time as one of the biggest recruiting coups in the history of the Owens and Murray League. Jack Jones, after nine seasons, 175 games and three premierships, left the Bombers as a genuine legend and later was inducted into the club's Hall of Fame. Jones was also inducted into the Ovens and Murray Football League Hall of Fame. Here is some of the audio from his acceptance speech on July the 4th, 2018. Had I retired in 1954 and, uh, and we went for a holiday and we were going to Sydney with my wife and uh, two young children. We called in and uh, we went to a bed and breakfast place and uh, my wife didn't like the look of it so uh, uh, Mrs Adams a funeral places, they, they owned a bed and breakfast place. And she said, oh, wait a minute. She said, you can come over and sleep at our place because our two boys are down at Xavier. And Jack Adams said to me, he said, did you play football? I said, yes, I played with this. And he said, well, we're looking for a coach. Are you interested? And I said, oh, yes, mate, you know. And uh, anyway, we left the next morning and, and uh, I left my name and address, you know, in Melbourne. And, uh, in about two weeks' time, uh, there was a deputation come down and uh, interviewed me. And uh, as a matter of fact, I all resigned with the uh, Murray Football Club vacation. And my wife went down there and she said, No, I don't think I like Murray. So uh, we accepted it and we come up to Albury. And uh, well, the others of Murray in Melbourne has always been known as the best uh, football league in Victoria. I knew that, and uh, we, we like the uh, the weather when we went through Albury. Uh, you know, it's always nice and sunny, and very cold in the winter and hot in the summer. So uh, my wife said, "I think we'll go to Albury." So uh, we we uh, left our home in Melbourne and with our two children and came out, and uh, we lived in Albury for nine years. You know, I'd like to thank the Adams and Murray Board for the induction. When I heard the news, I had a, 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 it was a great thrill, and it'll go alongside with my Essendon uh, Football Club all the time, and, and uh, that's two of them there, so I'm a bit old now at 93 to win another one, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was a big decision to come up to Albury. Uh, we had our 
kept the uh, contract for two years and we came to Albury and uh, as I said we lived there for long, uh, in Albury for nine years and it was one of the greatest nine years I've ever had since a matter of fact. Uh, I'd like to thank the Albury Football Club for taking, taking the punt on a rookie coach, never came to get him on but I had a lot of grannies from Dick Real to one of my uh, that I played on and I said I will go up and give it a go. So uh, I'd like to thank my wife Bailey for leaving Melbourne and coming up with the two children to Albury and uh, now we've been married 70 years about four months ago so we must have been the right thing. To get this induction tonight is one of the biggest thrills of my life and thank the board once again. I'll pull a pin now, I reckon I've done enough and uh, just leave it to young life. Once again, thanks very much, have a great night and uh, have a good life. Thanks. Jack enlisted on the 15th of December 1942 and was discharged on March 14, 1946. One month later, on April 14, Jack Jones made his debut for Essendon against Carlton at Windy Hill. So how did he end up at Essendon? His son, Tony Jones, explains. Well, um, after World War II was finished, they were in New Guinea for four months after the war and they had to give all the uh, soldiers something to do. So they bulldozed an area and they had... uh, games like football matches and rugby matches and just sort of any any other sports that were going on at the time, uh, you know, and so they um, had a few games of football there and I think Dad had a pretty good time of it up there. He would have been very fit and played very well and when he got home from four months later, he um, had a three letters uh, on the kitchen table at his brothers and uh, one was from Essendon, one was from Brunswick and I think the other one was from Williamstown. So he um, thought he'll, he'll go down to Essendon and um, he was down there with uh, Dick Reynolds was the coach at the time and he thought he'd go down there and, and that's how he, his VFL career started. Yeah, so he must play pretty well, obviously, and um, it just seems that it would have been having a fair few people there I'd say still over over in the, at New Guinea or Bougainville, where I can't remember which one my head, where he was at the finish. Yeah, so that that's how he got started, and and then started at Essendon in '46, I think, was the first year there, and finished up playing 179 games, and never played in the reserves, and yeah, and still got the record at Essendon for a, I think it's 130 games uh, straight. Even more intriguing is how did Jack Jones end up coaching and playing in the Ovens Murray Football League with the Albury Tigers? Premiership teammate Joe Adams explains. Late one Saturday after uh, or evening, um, there was a knock on the front door of our house um, and there was this big tall I answered the front door and there was a huge tall man standing in the doorway and he asked for my mother who ran the guest house at that stage. And um, uh, he said he was looking for accommodation and my father was in the front lounge and saw him and started talk, came over and started talking to him. Uh, of course, they had an immediate rapport with each other because both were in 
a dedicated sportsman and Dad knew who he was, so I just sat in the background and listened to what was had to be said and he was a little bit upset about the, the match on the day. They were beaten in a final and um, he left with his family on a holiday and they started talking football and at that stage Aubrey were looking for a new coach and of course Dad was on the committee um, and interested in the football and made arrangements when he had finished his holiday on the way back to call in and Dad had arranged for a meeting with uh, the President and Dick Simpson, I think Bob White was the President at the time and um, it went from there. He was appointed coach. Yeah, mum, mum. Uh, there were three three brothers, and we, I, I was the only one at home at that stage. And there was accommodation for Jack to live in the house. It was quite quite a pleasant. Uh, I was sixteen. Yeah, yeah. 15, sixteen. Yeah. Oh yes, I knew who he was. Yeah, but of course, being uh, young, inexperienced, I didn't didn't have anything to say, and I didn't recognise him personally. I just thought, oh gosh. The 1956 Aubrey side was a star-studded one with plenty of VFL experience, including Lance Mann, Essendon, Jim Robertson, Hawthorne, and played for Victoria, Barry Takel, Hawthorne, Keith Thomas, South Melbourne, while star Achuka recruit Leon Payne had played reserve grade matches at Essendon. Lance Mann was one of 10 children. He was born in Walwa. He played 80 matches at Essendon in two stints during the 50s, between his three years at Albury, which was between 1955 and 1957. He played in the losing VFL Grand Final to Geelong in 1951. He won the Morris Medal in 1956. He polled in every game and won Albury's Best and Fairest the year before in 1955. He was also a professional footrunner, winning the Stall Gift in 1952. Two weeks later, the Bendigo Easter gift, and was also won the Wangaratta gift in the same year, the only athlete to have ever achieved this. Mann was also named in the centre of the Aubrey Tigers team of the century. Jim Robertson played 89 games for Hawthorne between 1947 and 1953. He also represented Victoria. He won the Tigers best and fairest in 1956, represented the Ovens of Murray Football League and was also named in the Aubrey Team of the Century. Barry Takel played four games for Hawthorne in 1955 before coming home to Aubrey, while Keith Thomas played two games for South Melbourne in the early 50s. Throw in homegrown talent in Reg Gard, John Stoney and the emerging youngsters in Joe Adams and the Ratcliffe boys, Tony and Joe, the Tigers were in a great position to win its first flag since 1947. In 1956, the Albury Sports Ground was shared as a home base by Albury and 1955 Premier's North Albury, who now play at Bunton Park. 1494 2AY in Albury and 1566 3&E in Wangaratta both broadcast a match each week and join forces in the finals to broadcast each final, including the grand final. More about that later. Field umpires were on about £6 per game and entry into an Ovens Murray Football League game was three shillings. The season commenced on April 21, with the big talking point ahead of the season being the appointment by Wangaratta Rovers of Collingwood legend Bob Rose as playing coach. Rose moved to Wangaratta 
to run a sports store. The Tigers were at home to Wodonga, who had signed Collingwood best and fairest winner from 1955, Des Healy, who was a teammate of Bob Rose in the Magpies' 1953 Premiership. Joe Adams was selected for his first game with Aubrey. In front of a huge crowd, the inaccurate Tigers overcame a three-quarter time deficit to beat Wodonga 9-17 to 8-gold-6 with Jim Robertson, Stan Gard and John Briggs the best. Barry Takel, back from injury and a year at Hawthorne, was chosen for the round two clash at Yarrawonga, alongside star recruit Leon Payne, who missed round one with work commitments. Despite again trailing at half-time and inaccurate kicking, the Tigers, led by Joe Adams, Lance Mann, Jim Robertson, Leon Payne and Peyton Courtney, stormed home to win 16-20 to Yarrawonga's 10-11. Margot Payne, the wife of Leon Payne, explained how they ended up in Albury. Well, Leon was working for Goldsboro Ward in Echuca. We were to start building a house on the on the Monday and on the previous th- Thursday he got a call down to Melbourne to the head bosses and he went down and they told him he was going, he was getting a shift to Albury. So that was the end of our b- building a house in um, in Echuca and he, he, he just continued on there working for a few weeks and the next thing we get, he got a visit from Jimmy Robinson and Jack Jones from Albury coming, wanting to come down and sign him up to play with Albury because Jack did know Leon from previously at Essendon. Yeah, so that was that. And Leon liked Jack and Mary. Leon, they had Leon a... and Jack had a, a real good relationship. They were, yes, and... Leon knew uh, Jack from way back, and uh, but before that, Mary, his wife, Mary uh, wheeled Leon around in a pram when he was a baby. So it goes back that far. Yeah. And Jack was a popular bloke around town. He was very. He was a very very likable by everybody, and he used to ride his push bike down the main street, and he'd be delivering meat. He worked at Rupert Hines, a little shop in Kiwa Street. He used to ride the bike down and he had this basket on the front and delivering meat and he'd be going down the street and waving the hands up in the air and waving to people. <laughs> he was just so friendly and likeable. A wonderful, wonderful man, wonderful. Could not speak highly enough of him. A lovely couple and they had a lovely family and we used to do lots of things Together, I'd be. I'd go. Uh, Leon and I'd go over with our brood, and 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 Mary'd say, "Stay for tea," you know. And she'd have all these children, my my lot and her lot, all lined up there at the table. She she was just so capable. Wonderful woman. Wonderful. No, we had we had lots of fun. The Tigers, despite missing coach Jack Jones and captain John Stoney, made it three wins to start the season and ten since its last loss by beating the Rutherland Redlegs by 24 points, nine goals 13 to six goals seven, with Lance Mann, the acting captain, best on ground. Joe Ratcliffe, Jim Robertson and Peter Barch were others to shine as the Tigers took top position on percentage over North Aubrey. 
Aubrey's winning run came to an end at Wangaratta Rovers, falling 11 points short after fighting back in the final term after trailing by six goals. The Tigers went into the game without Jack Jones and Jim Robertson. Or Boyle had his eyebrows split open after colliding with an umpire, while Jack's Briggs, leg injury and Barry Takel concussion were others to fall as the Rovers, led by a Bobby Rose masterclass, prevailed. Next up was a clash with fierce rivals North Aubrey, who were unbeaten after four rounds. Jim Robertson returned, but still no Jack Jones, as the old rivals turned on a brilliant and at times spiteful derby. Aubrey led by 27 points at half-time, before a 10-goal second half by the Hoppers got them home by seven points in front of a huge crowd that was entertained with high-quality football and some good old-fashioned dust-ups. Rugged Tigers defender Billy Smith was reported in a brutal last quarter. Smith recalls the incident and the rivalry that existed with North Aubrey. I'd say possibly I may have missed and Joe didn't. <laughs> That's about all I can think about what how it happened. But uh, I know I was around about the spot and uh, poor old... I, anyway, I thought, well... If I get a couple of weeks or a week or something, the premiership was worth it, you know. So I didn't, I wasn't actually terribly worried about it. As it turned out, it sounds like it might have been Joe who got a pretty good one into Timmy Rob. Oh, I, well, apparently his sister said that Joe had right across three knuckles, a bruise. <laughs> so it must have been a good one, yeah. Was it always a bit fiery between North Aubrey and Aubrey? Uh, always. It was just... Possibly a little bit more so in those days because North were a pretty good side and they they grew into a good side and they won a few premierships in one day or another and both been in the one town uh, or one city. There was always that little bit of aminosity, you know. Actually, I be- always believed we had a better side in 55 than what we did in 56 and... Uh, I'll show you how keen the competition was. Uh, I don't think North Aubrey tried real hard in, I think, their second-last game to keep us out of the four. It was the final four in eight. Of course, that didn't do the the, uh, competition between Aubrey and North Aubrey much good. They, (laughs) They always remembered that. The subsequent tribunal hearing at Rutherglen on the Thursday evening cleared Billy Smith as reported in the Border Mail. Tribunal Hearing Report, Border Mail, 25th of May, 1956. Two Ovens and Murray footballers were cleared of umpire's charges by the Tribunal at Rutherglen last night. They were Bill Condon, Wangaratta Rovers, and Billy Smith, Aubrey. Smith was charged with having attempted to strike Tim Robb of North Aubrey during the match at Aubrey last Saturday. Umpire Frude said he'd warned Smith three times during the match. Later, he saw Smith swing a vigorous right-hand punch at Rob, but the blow missed. Smith denied the charge and stated that although he saw Rob being struck and go down, he was not the player involved. At the time of the alleged incident, he was in possession of the ball about 10 yards away from a group of players. He kicked the ball, which appeared to go out of bounds. He noticed players were jostling one another and he saw Rob go down under a blow. 
Smith moved across to the group and the umpire raced in and took my number, said Smith. When Rob regained his feet, he said to the umpire, you've taken the wrong player's number. Mr C. Vincent, the Aubrey advocate, told the tribunal he could positively identify the player who struck Rob and it was not Smith. The umpire appeared confused and did not award a free kick or call for the ball to be thrown in, but bounced it, Vincent stated. The tribunal dismissed the charge. The Tigers negotiated the trip to Myrtleford in good style, with a dominant first half setting up a 40-point win. Ken Kane was chosen for his debut, unfortunately at the expense of his brother Barney, who was the one dropped. Peter Barch, Joe Adams and Leon Payne were best. The first weekend in June was interleague football, with the Ovens and Murray Football League out to defend its country title from the previous years. A thumping 16-goal win on Saturday over the Sunraysia Football League was dampened with a loss to the Ballarat Football League in Bendigo on the Sunday, losing by 13 points. John Zebarth made his first appearance for the season in the Round 7 clash at home with Benalla in a fiery encounter on and off the field as an again inaccurate Aubrey 10-25 beat Benalla 8 goals 10. Jim Robinson, Joe Adams and Jack Briggs were the best. Police had to remove spectators from the field in the last quarter as tempers boiled over. Leon Payne returned for the clash at Corowa and along with Jack Jones, both kicked four goals and Barry Takel three. 17-year-old Dick Grimman was included as 20th man for his first senior appearance. The Tigers were at their best, winning by 62 points and remained in second position. John Zebarth returned from suspension and Reg Gard for the round nine clash with Wangaratta. Despite missing John Stoney, Billy Smith and Peyton Courtney, the again horribly inaccurate Tigers coasted home, 12 goals 26 to 9 goals 7. Barry Takel was again best of field. The Ratcliffe brothers, Joe and Tony, were in great form, along with Reggie Gard. Takel was one of 73 players, officials and supporters who went on a six-day end-of-season trip to Tasmania that didn't start too smoothly, as Barry Takel explains. I went down to Melbourne on that Monday and we were to go on the Taroon, I think was the name of the old boat, and we were to spend the night there and arrive over in Tasmania next morning. So we did got on the boat all right, but we didn't get very far and I had to come, come back. And, of course, that threw everything out of what we were organised. We all spent the night on the boat because it was too late to get, you know, combination. So the next morning, I don't know who between, I suppose, the people with the, and I had the boat and that organised that we got on a plane and we flew over to, to Launceston the next day. But <laughs> probably a good thing that it broke down before it got out. Of, it could have been between Melbourne and <laughs> Tasmania over there. It finished up a very good trip, but for a, few, for a while there, we never knew what was going to happen. But Barry, I believe a few of the lads might have thought they'd already arrived in Tasmania when they woke up the next morning. I believe some of them. <laughs> <laughs> Just probably date themselves up for the boat trip, I suppose. <laughs> when you got it next morning and you s- were still where you were at four, four o'clock in the afternoon before. 
So, at the halfway point of the home and away season, defending premiers North Aubrey were a game clear of Aubrey and Benalla and were Donga a further game back with six wins each. Star forward John Stoney was back from a two-week suspension for the massive round 10 clash against fourth place Wodonga at Martin Park Wodonga. The Bulldogs were unlucky five-point losers the previous week to ladder leaders North Aubrey. In a brilliant display of wet weather football, Aubrey swept the Bulldogs aside in a 43-point win after the home side had hit the front early in the third quarter. Best for the Tigers were Orb Boyle, Joe Ratcliffe and Jack Briggs. Tom Burns, Joe Adams and Jack Jones all kick three goals apiece. Aubrey took over top position on the ladder in round 12 after thumping Yarrawonga in pouring rain by 109 points, with Jack Jones kicking five goals. They drew level with North Aubrey after their game against Benalla was postponed due to floodwaters which covered the Benalla ground. The region was in the grip of a very wet winter, with the Corowa ground completely underwater, while at Myrtleford, both Wodonga and Myrtleford players had to be ferried to the ground on the back of trucks as the Myrtle Creek had burst its banks, leaving the road to the ground under 18 inches of water. Another postponed game from the previous round scheduled for Corowa was played at Wang Rovers ground, but only just. One hour after the Corowa players' bus had crawled through the floodwaters, the highway north of Wangaratta was closed. By the second week of July, Aubrey had reached its average rainfall of 27 inches as the greatest flood in living memory threatened the border district to obliterate all previous weather records kept since 1860. Aubrey kept Rutherglen scoreless in the first half as the wet weather specialist racked up another big win by 53 points, with Joe Adams kicking six goals. After both playing on Saturday and winning their respective games, Benalla and North Aubrey fronted up again on the Sunday to play their rescheduled game at Benalla, with the home team winning and leaving Aubrey top of the table. Tiger Ruckman, Barry Takel, tells the story how Tigers defender Jim Robertson did some recruiting for a VFL powerhouse. The young bloke, he was transferred to the bank down there. He wasn't a local boy, and he played centre half forwards on Jimmy. Jimmy was, you know, he played a, a fullback for Hawthorne, then he played fullback for Victoria. So he wasn't a, just an average player, but this particular day, this young fella did everything else. That, <laughs> If Jimmy got in front of him, he came over the top and took a mark. If he got in front, Jim had no hope. His groundwork was unreal. He had one grab and away he was gone, yes. So, due respects to Jim, there was no thuggery. I mean, those days it was man on man. I suppose Jim accepted that. <laughs> and it got that way when he was, he was working for Hoyt's Skyline here. And one of the bosses at Hoyt's of Melbourne was on the board of uh, Melbourne Football Club. And he came up to see Jim and J he said to Jim, any young bloke up here that you know, we should grab? And he said, yes, this bloke we've got in Rutherglen. Grab him. He said, he'll walk straight into your team. And this bloke said, no way, no, and anyone can walk straight into Melbourne Football Club 
at that time because they were very strong too. Anyway, the f- first game came along, Hassa, which is we know who we're talking about, Hassa man, uh, didn't get a game. So from then on, he was in the next week and it just went on and on and he played the premiership teams and captain. Yeah. So it's a, to get beat by that, it wasn't too bad after all. The massive 86-point home win over Wangaratta Rovers was highlighted by a classic display from centre-half-back Jim Robertson, who showed all the skill and craft of his 89-game VFL career at Hawthorne, as the Tigers led the competition now by a game and almost 50%. Premiership defender and teammate Billy Smith spoke of Jim Robertson's ability. He was one of the most amazing footballers I've ever seen. He was a ch- sort of chap that you'd see blokes that'd be way, way above him in the pack, but Jimmy would be always marking the ball. You know, he just had that excellent, well, I, I suppose, I don't know what you'd call it, anticipation where the ball was, and he never, ever got caught with the ball. He was always very, very quick to get the ball to the foot, you know, and Apparently it landed in an Aubrey Blake's hands, you know. He, he was an amazing footballer. Next up was the derby between co-tenants and fierce rivals, North Aubrey, at a muddy Aubrey sports ground. The conditions did not stop the Aubrey juggernaut rolling on as they smashed the hoppers by 77 points. Barry Takel, Joe Adams four goals, Tony Ratcliffe five goals, Reggie Gard and Keith Thomas were outstanding. Myrtleford were next to feel the full force of the Tiger machine when they were hammered by 156 points at the sports ground. Reg Gard was best on ground with six goals, while Tom Burns, Jack Jones and Leon Payne all kicked five. A trip down the Hume Highway to Benalla proved no issue for Aubrey, winning by 57 points with Lance Mann, Leon Payne and Jack Jones leading the way. The win left Aubrey two games and almost 90% clear of second place North Aubrey. Another goal-scoring spree was a feature of Keith Thomas's 100th senior game for Aubrey when Corowa made the trip east along the Murray River. The good doctor, Dr John Stoney, he booted eight goals while ruckman Barry Takel starred on his return from a finger injury. Stan Guard kicked five goals and Jack Jones four. Young forward and emerging boxer Tim Burns had made a successful trip to Melbourne midweek winning his bout at the Collingwood Stadium. The final round was a trip down the Hume to take on Wangaratta, who needed a win and some other results go their way to play finals. They gave the Tigers their toughest challenge for some time before going down by 41 points to give Aubrey its 13th straight win and the minor premiership. So the final four was Aubrey, North Aubrey, Benalla and Wangaratta Rovers. Aubrey finished third in the seconds and would take on Wang Rovers in week one of the finals. The leading goal kicker for the league was North Aubrey's Lester Yench with 71. Joe Adams with 42 was the most for Aubrey. Aubrey Tiger star Lance Mann took out the Morris medal with 28 votes, polling in every game he played. He finished six votes clear of Benalla coach Lenny Fitzgerald. Teammate Barry Takel spoke about Mann. 
as you know, he won Stall Gift 2, but he, the year he won it was, was magnificent because he was so fast, of course, but he could just break out of the centre and in the old days, rock kicks then, he could kick it, you know, 50 or 60 metres or yards then, and it was just unreal with there. Because he played down in Melbourne at first, he, from, he was from here, then went down there and played a, quite a few games, then came back and lived here then when he got married. The year he won the Morris Medal, Jingy, it was on. There was, no, was just no stopping him. He was so strong and fast, yeah, yeah. and such a beautiful kick. Well, uh, yeah, so as I said, we, we had the, the good ones, then the rest of us were, well... Good average footballers, as I used to say. In week one of the finals, a more accurate Benalla eliminated Wangaratta Rovers. 13 goals, 8.86 to 8.14.62. To complete a tough day for the Rovers, Aubrey, led by a best-on-ground performance by teenager Dick Grimman, beat the Rovers by 11 points in the seconds as Aubrey advanced to the preliminary final. The second semi-final venue was the Aubrey Sports Ground for the massive clash between co-tenants Aubrey and North Aubrey. The two teams had only met twice previously in finals matches, with North Aubrey winning both of these. The Tigers made two changes, with Leon Payne returning from his honeymoon and Dr John Stoney from an injury. Stan Guard was out after copping two-week suspension following the Round 18 clash against Wangaratta. Guard's penalty was peanuts, though, compared to Wodonga Ruckman Dave Hodson, who was suspended for the entire 1957 season after breaking North Aubrey's Billy Barton's nose. Barry Takel reflected on Hodson and his fiery nature. Dave was very... <laughs> you didn't know what you were going to get for Dave, though. <laughs> he lived South Aubrey, and I, my parents lived in South Aubrey, and... And he used to knock around with my cousin. It's a bit old to me, but I just followed him around. And then we did a lot of swimming down in Norville and used to play cricket in one of the trees there. And that, as he got on the football, he, he played rugby. He was a very good rugby player. Then they got him into Australian rules. And this particular day, because he just snapped. <laughs> down there, full back on the way out on the ground. Then he got the centre-half back and he downed his bloke and he came through the centre. Down went another and I'm playing centre forward. And I think, oh, I'm gone here because you couldn't hurt him. You'd have to have an axe to hit him. <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, what can I do? I said, I can't beat him. So anyhow, he bypassed me and got a couple more behind me. So. <laughs> So I think those social days might have saved us, actually. <laughs> he was quite a good golfer, but it used to cost him a lot from clubs. He used to break them. <laughs> Heavy morning rain turned parts of the Aubrey Sports Ground into a quagmire, but it did not stop the Tiger machine from booting six first-quarter goals to the Hoppers' two. This initial burst was pivotal in the final victory margin of 19 points. With that going so heavy, two new balls were used in the match. One for the first and third quarters, and another ball for the second and fourth quarters. Lanceman Leon Payne were best for Aubrey, with Payne and John Stoney both kicking three goals. Tony Ratcliffe was off injured after kicking an early goal. 
His replacement, teenage forward David Ty, kicked two goals along with Reg Guard. Billy Smith and Barry Takel were others to shine. The victory meant, however, that Tigers' Stan Guard would miss the grand final due to his two-week suspension from Round 18. The following week, the Aubrey Seconds qualified for the grand final with a 15-point win over Benalla. While in the seniors, North Aubrey earned another crack at Aubrey when they defeated Benalla by 27 points in windy conditions at the Rovers' ground in Wangaratta. 16 of the 18 goals for the match were scored at the southern end. The Tigers made no change to either the seconds or the seniors for the grand final, with both Joe Adams and Tony Ratcliffe shaking off injuries from the second semi-final. The umpire was Alan Nash, who the week before had umpired the VFL grand final between Melbourne and Collingwood in front of 116,000 at the Melbourne Cricket Ground. The only other Aubrey and North Aubrey grand final was back in 1948 when the Hoppers veteran Les Bronick kicked a goal in the dying seconds to sink the hearts of the Tiger supporters. John Briggs and Reg Gard are the only Tigers to have played in the 1948 decider and the 1956 grand final. Grand final day started badly for the Tigers when Wodonga beat Aubrey by 39 points in wet and rainy conditions throughout. Best for Aubrey were Ken Kane, Bula Mannering and Barney Kane. On to the main event, as Aubrey started well in front of a huge crowd at the Aubrey Sports Ground, kicking five goals to two before North Aubrey outscored the Tigers in the second quarter to leave Aubrey 16 points up at half-time. The Tigers dominated the third quarter and should have buried the Hoppers' hopes in that quarter. They kicked three goals eight and were leading by almost six goals before North Aubrey gave supporters a flicker of hope with two late goals to go in the final term 23 points behind. The Hoppers made the best possible start in the final term with Tim Robb and Peter Curtis kicking early goals to make it four in a row and reduce the margin to just 11 points as the huge crowd found voice. Aubrey captain coach Jack Jones moved himself into the ruck and inspired his charges with a dominant aerial display as he set up the next two goals kicked by Barry Takel and Joe Adams.
14 goals, 15 behind. It's a North Albury 10 goals, 3 there. Really showing their true form now. They're coming right away with this game and are just proving how much far superior they have been to the rest of the sides in the Abington Murray this year. The final blow was delivered when amongst heavy rain, thunder and lightning, a brilliant passage of play resulted in 175 game veteran Reggie Gard booting the sealer. And it looks like going out of bounds and the lightning is flashing and the rain coming down here at the Albury crossbound to see the Minutes later, the Albury Sports Ground was flooded by jubilant Tiger supporters as the final siren sounded to give Albury its first premiership in nine years. 15-6-3-and-E they gave the wrap-up of the game and their best players. What's your impression, Jack? Well, uh, Ron, I say again, Albury won this premiership. They won it particularly well. I think they had it won all day, although at three-quarter time with the scores, uh, Albury 10-14 to North Albury 8-goal 3. It looked like the North Albury coming down with the scoring end looked like they would be a chance of pulling the game out of the fire. After Albury, congratulations to Jackie Jones and the Albury boys. They won this afternoon and they won very, very well. Well, now to try and name best players, a very difficult job, but on behalf of Albury, ably led by their captain coach, Jack Jones, he has uh, 
The old hiding players out there play as a team. They cooperated well together and passed out to the open spaces and uh, helped their teammates as much as they could, uh, particularly around the forward zone. I thought they operated very well. But to individualise, if I may, I would go for Leon Payne as the best man on the Orby side, uh, playing on the half-forward flank and roving, followed very closely by Robinson, the centre-half back, played a grand game all day, solid in defence, is a very cool player, quick thinker, great anticipation, and everything he does was right. I would go for number three as Jackie Jones, the centre-half forward, threw himself into the ruck at the start of the last quarter and then went back to the centre-half forward again. Although not getting uh, high marks and kicks all the time, everything Jackie Jones does is to the benefit of his teammates and three or four goals that were kicked by uh, fellows like Tony Ratcliffe too, I can recall, and Payne, another one, were hand-passed to them by their skipper, Jack Jones. Well, that's the principle that he wants into his side, and he's the first to get out there and uh, lead them and show them just how to do it. Well, then you could go on players like Thomas on the wing. I thought he won well all day. Reggie Gard bobbed up all over the place and did some uh, sensational things. Played a grand game. Coffee in the ruck of the back pocket. Uh, Adams roving all forward. Briggs in the half-back flank, particularly in that last quarter, came right to his own. Handled that greasy ball beautifully. And then we have the two Ratcliffe. They played well all day. Stoney fought hard, I thought, and so also did John Zebath. As I say, I could go right through listening players that play well for Aubrey, but they're one, two, three. I'll go for Payne first, Robinson second, and Jack Jones third. The goal kickers for Aubrey, Payne three, Tony Ratcliffe two, Adams two, Redgard two, Zebath one, King one, uh, Stoney two, Jack Jones one, and Taker one. The final scores again, Aubrey 15 goals, 15, defeated North Aubrey. 11 goals, 6. The umpiring of Nash, I thought, was brilliant myself. He umpired an excellent game, had a hard job to do. The game was played hard and fast. There were no incidents at all all day. They just went right in hammer and tongs from low to go, or from go to one, I've been instructed that should be. And they gave this huge pair this afternoon, really gave them their full money's worth. Well, now, Ron, that is all I have for you from the Orbe Sports Ground this afternoon. But just, uh, but just before going back to you, Ron, on behalf of 3 and and myself, I would like to thank uh, you and 2AY Orbe for your cooperation during the final series. Again, we've got through another series without any arguments, and I'll, I'm only looking forward to next year's uh, final series again when I hope we can work together just as harmoniously as we did this year. Well, now, listeners, this is your 3 and football commentator, Jack Ferguson, saying good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and cheer for football season 1956. For North Albury, the goal kickers, Rob got one, Burke got one, Galvin two, Curtis two, Barton one, Yance three, and O'Connell got one. As far as the best players for North Albury were concerned, by one, two, three, for North Albury, Vin Burke, number one, Burton, number two, Peter Curtis, number three. Well, that's all we have for you from the Albury Sports Ground. The grand season has again come to its climax here at the Albury Sports Ground. Victory going to Albury. This has won the game on behalf of Jack Ferguson and myself. Thank you for those comments, Jack, regarding 2AY. We're working very well together for two stations, I think, in 3 and 2AY. And until 1957, this has won the game on behalf of Jack Ferguson and myself, signing off from the Albury Sports Ground, and now handing you back to the respective studios of 3 and and 2AY. Good afternoon, everyone. The Albury 1956 Premiership side was Backline, Billy Smith, Peter Barch, Peyton Courtney, Halfbacks, Orb Boyle, Jim Robertson, John Briggs, centre line, Keith Thomas, Lance Mann, Joe Ratcliffe, half forwards, Leon Payne, Jack Jones, captain coach, Reg Gard, the forward line, Ray King, John Stoney, Tony Ratcliffe, the rucks, Barry Takel, John Zebarth, Joe Adams. 19th man was David Ty, and the 20th was Tim Burns. 
Well, what a classic look back to a famous season in the history of the Aubrey Tigers Football Club. Once again, a huge thank you to the Joss Group for making this episode of the Tiger Tales possible. We look forward to you joining us again on Glory Days for another look back at some of sport's great moments. For now, stay safe and thanks for listening.